0: welcome back kofkin bond listeners today we're joined by peter skrine the business development director at crescent capital a prominent australian private equity firm with over 15 years experience at crescent capital peter has been instrumental in driving the firm's growth and success he's actively participated in five fundraisers and has been involved in multiple investments contributing to the firm's impressive track record Crescent Capital Partners has been at the forefront of supporting emerging and growth companies in Australia and New Zealand since its establishment in 2000. With their deep in-house expertise, the firm has raised over $3 billion across six funds and has completed more than 45 foundation investments and has provided assistance with over 150 follow-on acquisitions. Before joining Crescent Capital in 2007, Peter Skryan made his mark in Australian radio industry. He held senior executive positions at Macquarie Radio, Wing Corporation, and the Austereo Network. During his time as the National Partnership Director within Austereo, Peter was the pioneer of multimedia strategies. He developed immerse strategies for national brands, advertising agencies, government departments, SMEs, and not-for-profits, leveraging a wide variety of entertainment media assets. Peter brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. Combining his expertise in management, marketing and business, his diverse background in both private equity and media provides a unique perspective of the intersection of finance and entertainment. Throughout this episode, we'll be discussing Peter's journey in private equity industry, his insights into the Australian market and the strategies employed by Cozen Capital to support and grow their portfolio. We'll also be exploring the evolving landscape of private equity and the VC space. So, without further further ado, let's please welcome Peter Stryn to the Golf Bond Podcast. Peter, welcome
1: lovely to have you here Thank great you to see much. you great to see you again as well it's nice to be here so i just let you know when I did meet with Peter in his office in Sydney he was pointing out some of the really good bars near his office James so <laughs> when you're up there in July Peter can, Peter can give you I'll, a I'll give you a personal tour <laughs> <laughs> sounds good now, Peter, as per the introduction, you are the Business Development Director for Crescent Capital Partners, which is a pr- large private equity firm yes, uh, here am. in Australia. Uh, you do get a lot of offshore investments mm-hmm. uh, and industry super fund investments and yep. l- large, large investments. And you're currently managing six funds. Can you just, before we get into yep. what is private equity, can you get a, give a bit of a background of those funds and type of companies that you have invested in?
2: Yeah, certainly. Uh, So Crescent Capital Partners has been around now for about 23 years, so that makes us one of the older established private equity firms in the country. Um, Interestingly enough, when we did start in the late 1990s, early 2000s, there was probably about 15 private equity firms that were established in and around that time. Today there would be probably four of us left from that period as a reflection or, a, or an example or, or evidence of those that made it through what we do and doing it well and of course those that yeah, were unsuccessful along the way. Um, our, so since then we've raised seven investment funds um, ranging in sizes as we've matured. So our very first one was a $25 million fund which seems tiny in today's standards but back then it was you know quite an achievement for us um, but since then you know our latest fund, fund number seven is a, is a billion dollar fund. Uh, our capital pools come from a number of sources so they come from essentially Australian super funds mostly industry orientated, um, some alternate investment funds here in Australia uh, a great chunk of our capital now comes out of the US, so pensions uh, university endowments, um, high net worth family offices over there. And then the last sort of, let's call it 20, percent of our capital is coming out of a variety of sources. So fund to fund managers out of Asia, you know, they aggregate capital and deploy it. And a couple of, uh, again, family offices out of Europe. So a mixed bag of lollies in terms of where the money comes from. It's put into private equity, i.e., and certainly Crescent, as what they call 10-year committed capital. So what that basically means is that these uh, funds make a commitment of cash to us, which we draw down as we deploy it. So it's not put in the bank and saved and ready to go. It's actually drawn as we need. And uh, so that typically gets called when we're making uh, an investment in a business of some sort of sort or size and subject to your percentage of funds to the overall fund is, is obviously what you're called for. It's called 10 Year Committed because we essentially have 10 years to invest it and then realize it plus there's normally about one or two year options at the end because nobody wants to just shut the door on a on a business if it's not quite mature enough to sell um, so that's kind of the structure. So when people put their capital in, you know, they're going to be prepared to to be ready for a longer investment horizon than a a, let's say like a public equities environment.
1: I actually will circle back to that in just a moment, Peter, but there's sometimes we have people come to us and say, well, should we just go to a private equity firm to raise these funds? And mm-hmm. I've explained the difference between, say, uh, VC, mm-hmm. uh, venture capital, angel investing, and private equity. Yep. Private equity is more investing in mature companies that are already showing a profit, correct? Uh, or should be showing a profit, or are on a real growth trajectory that you guys yeah. are willing to back. Yeah. But can you just explain the difference, for say, between those yep. three?
2: Yep, yep. So certainly, angel investors are. You know, if you think of it as a as a curved graph, you know, leaning upwards. You know, angels are typically sitting down at the very bottom of that. Company maturity or company stage graph. So, taking the greatest risk. They're taking the greatest risk. They're often family, friends, and fools. You know, yep, yep. guys that have got a little bit of money and and have a and come across businesses that are interesting, innovative, maybe looking for small licks of cash, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a couple of million at best, um, and they are often also, you know, involved in working on the boards with those companies. VC typically starts to take institutional capital, so they are. Collecting money from you know, superannuation funds, for example, but they are early stage investors, so they tend to back fifteen to twenty different businesses in their fund. Often, they are fast growing funds, uh, are companies. So, you know, technologies being the obvious, and they tend to take a higher risk approach to their investing. These businesses aren't always earnings positive. Mm. They're, they're fast growth. They could be uh, revenue growing so they're backing the growth in the revenue story but there's not necessarily earnings profile so you yeah, know you hear stories of Canva and and you know Atlassian and those big unicorns of today but when they first started these were uh, you know negative earnings businesses private equity sits further up the chain it's a growth capital story as you say it's typically dealing with mature businesses that are earnings positive um, depending upon the size of the private equity fund, they can be anything from sort of three to five million of earnings and above. Um, there are a couple of private equity guys who specialize in turnaround businesses, so bro- buying broken businesses, you know, um, David Jones' store recently was sold um, to a Anchorage or a group yep. of guys that sort of focus on fixing broken businesses, Toll Holdings, Yeah, another one of their stories. Um, but we're, um, we're, we're very much the growth capital guys. We're very much about backing owners of companies to help grow, build bigger, better businesses. Typically, those businesses will have some sort of IP or a, or a defensive moat around the business. You know, quality management teams got a great growth proposition, tailwinds of opportunity sitting behind them. And what they're looking to do is accelerate their fortunes of building out the business and uh, looking for some smart capital to help do that. So we only do, let's say, 10, eight to 10 investments per fund, so less volume, um, but more work associated with growing out the business.
1: So for the, say, founder of that business, because they're private, they're private businesses, they're not listed. Correct. So for the founder of that business, they're saying in the future it's gonna be, for this to achieve this growth, it's gonna be better for me to bring on a partner own less percentage of equity in a lot larger company.
2: Yeah, I think often what happens too, is you get to a certain stage of your business cycle and age of your business ownership, where doubling down again on growth will increase your personal risk around you know your guarantees and maybe you've built out a nice asset pool, family home, beach house, other things in your life. And you're realising that every time you double down on growth, you're putting all that to risk. Mm. And so one of the big levers that attracts companies to private equity is that ability to de-risk your personal situation. And so that's really attractive. Um, Sometimes the reason why private equity is called in, as it were, is because the, the business is almost outgrowing the capability of the management team. And they need, you know, it's a $50 million earnings business and the potential is 200 But I've never built a business to 200 And the complexities of doing that start becoming a little bit overwhelming. So I need advice, skill, ability from others to help me do that. Um, and so there are often two reasons. Sometimes it's succession planning. I've built a great business. I want to de-risk some of it today, but I know there's more potential. And then I, re- I don't want to be there at the end, I want to exit out of this business and realise all the value I can. And so private equity um, is a great vehicle to do that. I mean, if you think about our story, we've made 50 portfolio investments and over 250 bolt-on acquisitions. We've listed maybe 10 companies in that time. So let's talk about that. You, you buy into a company, you help it grow,
1: and part of that growth, and you, as you said, helping de-risk for that founder, but part of that growth is um, identifying and seeing another opportunity to buy that company and bolt it on mm-hmm. to this company that you know own equity in to help with its strategic growth. Yep. So is that usually part of the plan? I mean, if, you, if you've invested in 50 and now got 200-odd Boltons, you've done for on average, say four times for
2: each company you got as a yeah yeah as as an average yeah yeah. um so yeah so aggregating of of a sector is certainly one of the um, levers of growth that you can drive out. Um, So if you think about it in two streams, there's organic, you roll out your own greenfield sites and abilities, or you you buy vertically, horizontally complementary companies that actually will. Build out your capability suite and potentially make your business stronger, better, more productive. Hopefully, better margins. Um, So the strategic thinking around that often starts very early when we're meeting companies. You know, it's even before we've invested. We'll be having conversations with people about where do you want to go, what do you want to do, why do you even want us in your business in the first place? Because, you know, it's um, it's a completely different way of running a company, and part of that discussion is. If you could get a whiteboard and talk about what your business could look like in 10 years' time, capital restrictions aside, you know, personal guarantees taken out of the equation, and what, what would you want to do? We've a it? few of those discussions <laughs> in here recently, haven't yeah. right? we, yeah, Jamie? Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, you know yeah. and, and that blue sky moment of actually being able to say, okay, let me take the blinkers off and look at what I could create. And then that is when the gold really comes out about what's potentially possible for that company. Then we just think about strategically how we go about achieving that you know and Crescent's very fortunate our backgrounds as a firm our DNA is that we've come out of the strategy consulting world so we're all ex McKinsey Bain LEK BCG types um, which means that we can not only Put the capital in, but we can bring that skill set to work alongside it's these. Who's better, D.
1: Boston Consulting
2: or McKinsey? <laughs> Depends who you ask. <laughs> I was going to say there'll be a few, a few
1: ex-McKinsey and Boston Consulting headbutting each other one they? Yeah, yeah, they're very—they've uh, got very
2: clear DNA when they're in-house. Yes, yeah, um, I could imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that. That's yeah. That added value allows yeah the management teams, the owners of companies, to really think about their businesses differently. You yeah. I said I'd circle back,
1: and you guys are, have all your investments been originally at
2: least um, Australian based? Yeah. So our mandate on our funds is domiciled Australian and New Zealand based businesses. Okay. Yes. So, so we're here to build yep. Australia.
1: Okay. So when you have some of the large internationals uh, come in. The likes of you know your KKR mm-hmm. as an example, uh, and they're coming in and they seem to have a lot more cash to deploy mm-hmm. uh, from that aspect. But if you from if you're looking at from an international aspect, I listen to a podcast every Friday uh, or every Saturday actually called All In. Oh, yeah. uh, so re- really good. I, I just love the way they just banter and, and kill each other off. But very successful the four of them, obviously what? Yeah, so <laughs> just, just a little bit. But one of the interesting parts of what they were talking about um, a few months ago now about SoftBank was they had raised so much money, Mm. they had to deploy it. Yeah. And in actually being forced to deploy it, they were just paying virtually anything uh, for for those companies that realistically, you look at the valuations and you're sort of scratching your head.
2: Yeah.
1: And they they were rushing into VC, they were uh, private equity, they were just funding anything they could because... They had to, and, and get you, money out. so you spoke about that ten-year term there. Yes, but they had to deploy and get that out. Is that work less? Is there less pressure for you here in Australia to do that, so you actually can walk away and say,
2: "No, I'm not. I'm yeah, not pushing this up." I mean, you have to be a disciplined, yes, in inverted commas investor. Um, and we saw a lot of that in 21, where you know, like houses around the country valuations of companies went through the roof a fear of missing out yeah 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 and 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 there was lots of money in the market you know through a variety of reasons and um, people were just yeah throwing money out the door just to get it away because fear of missing out you know but now of course so his so now it's all changed so historically we've always made about two or three investments per year Um, and as I said we only do 10 investments per fund so typically it takes us about three to four years to get the money deployed now at the moment we're yeah we're quite disciplined so we've made as i said we've got one investment left to make on fund six we've made four investments since 2021 so you know it's kind of running on track at the moment there's still half a year left to go for 23 so we'll we'll probably get up to speed we got one going through Investment committee at the moment, which I'm pretty sure will get done. Um, uh, so yeah, so it's it's really important. We don't. When, when, the only pressure we put on ourselves is really the pressure we put on ourselves. What our what is that lead-in time to get a deal done though? Six to
1: twelve months. Uh,
2: it it will vary depending upon the motivation of the of the company of the shareholders. Okay. Uh, the quickest we've done a transaction would be three months yeah. from signing a term sheet. We're really good. We do all our own internal commercial due diligence. We um, use outsourced legal and accounting due diligence work. And typically from the day you sign your term sheet, agreeing on value and basic terms, to completion is six to seven weeks. Okay. So we're really conscious of being quick. Yeah. Why is that? Because we don't want to disrupt the business. And it is quite invasive when you're doing your accounting due diligence, particularly. And so you want to not cause management too many distractions off running the company, yeah. so we're, we're pretty good. The lead up to that term sheet, how long is that? That can be everything from a few months to a couple of years depending yeah, okay. upon you know, everybody's interests. Now as the business
1: development director, yes. are companies coming to you, or are you searching out companies? Oh, a bit of both. Because we, we met each other through I yeah. suppose, the networking events right. where was, uh, as soon as you said where you're from, you picked up my ear straight away. I knew, <laughs> <obviously>. <laughs> so, so I knew you straight away. And uh, there, were, there seemed to be a lot of people in that group who were wondering how this works with private equity yeah, whereas yeah, was am yeah. there I was there more, more say yeah I was a bit more
2: familiar so when you yeah, actually yeah. spoke about it it So came we're from a different perspective. Um, with Thematic Investors we are the largest and most active investor in healthcare yeah. so when you think about thematics healthcare is a great industry you know there's aging population lots of technological disruption the Australian dollar's trying to squeeze its dollar to go further yeah um, there's an aging baby boomer practitioner population there's a millennial group of people who want to work in corporatised services. The days of opening up a clinic on the high street for 30 years doesn't exist so much anymore. Yeah. So healthcare is one of those sectors that we you know, focus on a lot. But outside of that, we look at the economic themes of the country and go, where are the tailwinds blowing? And So if you had to be, you know, some basic sort of sectors are things like energy transition. You know, as we move from a carbonised energy movement to a decentralized generation system and all the infrastructure stuff that goes with that. Um, There's uh, areas such as uh, what we call productivity. So the the country's trying to drive more productivity out of individuals and companies. So how are they going to do that? So whether that's through B2B educational programs to upskill workers, or whether that's through investing in technology, AI, robotics, CapEx programs of sorts. Um, or software, you know, SaaS stuff. Again, to drive out costs of businesses, improve productivity. They're areas of interest to us. Uh, we're seeing um, defence is becoming a, a big story in this country Next now. Mentioned our first meeting where I met you. That was one of the conversations with one of the gents there. You know, yeah. and so um, we can't play at the pointy end of the defence story, but we can certainly look again at around the ICT world yeah. and think about how those sort of capabilities. Um, other sectors of interest, we're very keen around professional service companies. You know, Australia is a big service-based business country, and so B2B professional white-collar service business, whether that's in finance services or education or, uh, you know, property services, what have you, there's some really interesting things there. Um, The world's becoming a lot more connected, so connected technologies, think building maintenance services. And then there's just that whole you know, it's a great company. It's doing some really interesting things. You know, we spoke about a client on the way in. Who's running a a service-based business who's doing exceptionally well. And there's a great growth story. And at the end of the day, our job is to, you know, is to uh, support and grow these Australian companies to bigger. So we're not exclusive to those sectors, but we're just looking at it. But we do get, because of our reputation, inbound inquiry. I had one Yesterday, okay. healthcare business, you yeah. know, we're meeting with him next week. He's working in a segment of health that's uh, epidemic. Okay. And so we think there's a potential opportunity there to help build out a national best-of-breed organisation. It is interesting in healthcare, isn't
1: it? It's, um, we've gone from uh, just give people tablets... Yeah. Uh, so I still remember my family doctor as a kid, Dr. O'Sullivan, and when he brought in a younger doctor, my mum my was horrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I was just, but my mum who's now 84, she is uh, having issues with her last two doctors well, one just died of old age. Oh, right. yeah. uh, I mean, he wasn't that old, but he was still practicing at 78, yeah, just yeah. a GP, who yeah. just, you know, they become friends. And then the next one, he, she had him for three years, and he was in his 70s, and he retired. So there is, there is that issue of the follow-through, but yeah. as you said, it's not yep. the small practice anymore, it is no. the larger practices. Yeah. But I suppose you have seen, I mean, Australia, and I don't know if you're part of it or not, but uh, say Genesis Healthcare just recently yep. as an example, right. where seemed to have grown too, bigly, too big too quickly.
2: Yeah, look, and and, and we've seen a lot of businesses over the last couple of years take some really, again, houses, you know, cheap debt. You could borrow corporate capital quite cheaply. Now it runs on a shorter time frame than a household mortgage, so three to five years on average. And so a lot of those debts that were borrowed in 2020 to get them through a a blip or in 2021 when money was really cheap and for growth uh, are now coming up for refi. And at the same time, you've got inflationary pressures and, and cost increases, and so some of those businesses like Genesis mm. found themselves, you know, cash poor. Yeah, and, and it it has it happened in
1: the GFC too with the, a lot of the large property yeah, syndicates where, yeah, that's right. where once upon a time, I remember speaking to the managing director of one of them, a very large one, um, they ended up going under, but he said, you know, three years ago, we had 20 banks lining up the door trying to throw money at us and yeah, trying yeah. to get our business, whereas now it's that time for renewal, and everyone's saying you're going to have to uh, deleverage and sell your yep. properties. Yeah, yeah, we, and, and not, that's what's yeah. happening
2: in the corporate sector. You know, we want these, our money back, and no one was willing to give us any more. Yeah, you've got more. these hundreds of millions of dollars worth of debt pieces that are now coming up for refi, and the value on that refi is three times, four times as much as it was originally, so that's expensive. So then you've got to think about what you're going to do. So one of the areas we're seeing in Australia is the uh, corporate carve-out, you know, U.S., particularly European companies carving off the Australian um, you know, subsidiary to sort of repatriate the cash back to home. And so there's a little bit of that going on, uh, which is interesting for people like us. Yeah, As we, And Genesis is an example of that. They've got issues in the US, and so they're going to have to sell off the farm here in Australia to yeah. get some money to solve their bankruptcy issues in the US. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, See, so yeah, it's interesting. The other thing that's growing at the moment is, is the growth of private credit private debt market actually noticed quite a lot of that actually KKR just came out yesterday Uh, we saw they're they're launching their private credit Yep. yeah and some of the aggregated family office groups are starting to think about using that and you're getting you know good terms yeah particularly if you're smart and you sort of focus on you know sectors that are going strongly like healthcare or energy or something and then you can you know get sort of high single digit returns on your capital Yep. it's not bad so let's talk
1: about from you know our listeners. They have good businesses. they got that. They're in a sector that yourself or a competitor is very interested in. Mm-hmm. They've got that uh, five to seven million dollar ebit, uh, but they've built a the business from scratch. They're yeah. now they're you know, saying they're late fifties, maybe early sixties, etc. When you're actually looking at you know the potential to even go under the hood, you know, so to actually have a look under the hood mm-hmm. to see how it's actually running. I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but if a client is look, if they're the founder and they're a bit of a rock star, and they were looking at it, well, I suppose you can answer it two ways. That they're looking at staying on, mm-hmm. um, and you think, hmm, where's the succession here, or is it, a, or it could be a case of where if they weren't around, is the business going to continue? How how do you how do you how do you ascertain that risk involved in that founder either staying or moving on you know yeah. when it comes and just different stories
2: you know yeah. different different things sure yeah. so yeah key man risk yeah it's, it's always comes up in in because you always quiz i always find many owners of companies go, gone oh, no, i don't really do too much i got a professional management team they're running the business i'm just sitting back and i pop in at 10 and you know it's all and just keep an eye on what's going on but the reality I've is i've never seen any of them <laughs> <So, so, so. laughs> they got their finger on the poles yeah so they, they know exactly where every last Paperclip is Absolutely. sitting. You know? Yeah. Um, and so the, the key for us and them is to identify the reality of, of that key man story to then help mitigate that if they want to transition out of the business. Yeah, not everybody us. Some people just actually want to stay around and go again and again and again, you know, and just keep growing and developing the company because they've got very strong actuarial sort of ambitions. They want to see this business become institutionalized and leave a legacy or something of that nature or make a huge difference to the country. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so thinking through, and and that's part of the, the diligence before we've signed a term sheet, that's part of the conversations that, the honest conversations that we have with each other to understand level of impact, level of influence. uh, What do you want to do? We have a lot of conversations around what do you want to do because a lot of people haven't really stopped to think about that. Yeah, their life actually has been their business. Yeah. And and what happens on Monday morning if they've got nowhere to go. Yeah, and we've had both. We've had many a time where we've worked with founders who are senior leaders in their businesses and helped them strategically and staged exit out of that position and they move from executive to non-executive roles, still involved in the business, just sitting on the board and working with the management team that's been created, whether it's their own people internally or whether we do a global search. Um, Years ago, we invested in a business called Covermore, which is a large travel insurer. Yeah, Um, used to be you know, basically about 75, 80% of its revenue came out of Flight Centre. And it was set up by a guy called Shane Smythe and and a couple of minorities. And they had this great business and they sold travel insurance, you know, through Flight Centre to a bunch of Aussies that would travel overseas. And Shane sort of got to that stage where he realised he was the business and there was no way of getting himself unplugged. We were, luckily enough, this is going back in 2009, to buy sixty percent or invest in sixty percent of his business and he didn't want to be there at the very end when we and one of the strategies aspirations was to list this company yeah and so he didn't want to be a listed CEO yeah um, but at the same time he was highly passionate about the growth of the business and so over that journey and there was a lot of things that happened in that company but we did a global search and found a Fortunately, found a, a group of senior management guys in Mondial out of Europe who were looking to repatriate back to Australia, um, and were willing to take on the job because of the fact that private equity was actually on the share register. Okay, because they felt far more confident and comfortable around the financial structure. Equally, they were, you know, given some uh, ESOP onto the business, and so they were given some management incentive to be grow the business, and it. Yeah, and it just worked out really nicely that, that we were able to find a, a senior team. Shane then stepped down from exec to seeing on the board and then as we grew along his appetite for growth, you know, was very voracious because he was you know, he wasn't Tied up with the it's day-to-day, yeah. you could look at the horizon and go, "Wow, what if we did this?" Have we about, we should go to India. We should go to China. We should do all this sort of stuff. And back then, these were emerging middle-class travel and company uh, uh, populations. Yeah. So we end up becoming the third-largest travel operator in India, and you know, a maturely large one in China. And then we built out a whole bunch of other stuff. And by the time we finished, we went, we grew that business over five years from sort of a circa ninety million enterprise value to just shy of 700 by expanding the operation. And his last piece of the puzzle was worth way more than 100% of the business when we first entered into the company. So he was happy. He was happy. He freed up his mind, freed up his time, gave he, him a he great He transitioned exit. out of yeah. management into working on it, not in it, yeah. um, which helped us too, because you know we think we're smart boys and girls, but he had deep industry expertise that was able to be um, used successfully better than yeah. just running a business.
1: Yep. No, what, a, what a wonderful success story. So so from that aspect, you, you guys are looking at, and private equity in general, but you guys are looking at, good businesses, not necessarily, well, not mature businesses, where someone's just looking to sell. Oh, uh, look, we, we'll look at all businesses. Yeah, but I'm assuming, though, you, you want something our, that
2: can still grow. Our, yeah, yeah, look, it's yeah. got to have a tail of growth. Yeah. You know? um, our, our ideal, to be honest, is to take a significant, oh, well, take a a, 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 a majority position in a business, 60 70%. Yep. Um, that's our ideal, mm. and then work alongside that management team to... Execute on growth, productivity, profitability, governance, yeah, you know, programs.
1: Do you bring that management team into the rewards that come at the end? Do you give them like? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. so if they yeah, haven't yeah, already yeah. got it,
2: but they got. Uh, I mean, if the they're already embedded share, yeah, yeah. Yep. But ideally, we'd like the top, what we call the top four to six senior management people who are influential in driving that business to collectively own about ten percent of the company. Yeah. Or more if the shareholder, founder is, you know, is willing. But 10% tends to be about right. CEO gets sort of a lion's share of that. And yep. then FO, IO, marketing directors, whatever. But people have got to have a vested reason besides pride to want to get out and build Absolutely. a better business. And, you know, if we get it right, these, these you know, chunks of change can be quite material for these people to change their lives, you know, and really make a difference to where they're going. I'm assuming then, Peter, with the
1: four clients who are considering going down this route, Mm -hmm. having the right private equity partner is is vitally important. So, you guys are hands on. uh, You're active. Yeah, so you are active. You have some other private equity groups that aren't necessarily uh, active. So, realistically, the person who's considering going down this route, they, if you use that example that you gave before, was it Chris? You gave uh, from. Care uh, of oh, Covermore. Cover more. Cover more. Yep, Shane. Uh, Shane, sorry. So, if, if you use that example from Shane, him having somebody who was active mm-hmm. made life far easier for him and got him a far better result five years down the track. Yeah. I than, mean, we're not. Than if he had somebody who wasn't active, yep, and he'd still have to be doing all the
2: hands on stuff and yeah. be actively Let's, involved. To wrap around what active is, we're not operational. Yeah. So, we don't get in and run the business. We yeah. sit on the board alongside the senior management team and make. I guess it's a working board in our mind. It's a to-do list board. It's like, right, where are we at? What are we doing? Where are we going? And then the question is, what do you need? Yeah. And that's the really important part because Crescent's one of the larger, by numbers of persons, um, private equity groups in the country. And, and because How many of, are part of your team? All in, we're just shy of 40. Yeah. Now, that doesn't sound huge, but in our world, there's probably three times the size of most PE firms. Um, And they are assets that we use to work alongside management teams. So these are the McKinsey types that say, let's do a cost-out analysis on our factory. Let's think about growth strategies. Let's do a competitive analysis. Let's do a route density study on pathology cars driving around Melbourne to see whether they're going in the right direction at the right time. Pick and packs, I don't know. You name it, CapEx programs, et cetera, et cetera. So we are – our mantra is help management make better decisions quicker. Yeah. And the better part is how do you make things better? Well, information. If I can give you the information quickly to make a better decision faster and then if it requires capital injection, come up with a structure to build a new factory or to buy that business to bolt it on and then help you integrate that company through a few extra bodies – to sort of help do the project work so that, again, your management team are not distracted from running and building the business whilst we go about integrating, you know, some distributor into your factory facility and closing down a warehouse and, you know, doing whatever it is we need to do to get the synergies out of the business. So, Peter, if we're we're closing with one
1: last question, Mm -hmm. what would be that advice that you would give to somebody who is looking at... Going down this route, what would be what would be not that say that one magic pill bit of advice, no. but but you know general advice over. Yeah. And, and bearing in mind, guys, do not take any advice off that's the podcast. Right. <laughs> the
2: disclaimer will come out at the end. But what what type of advice? What should yeah. what, what should they be looking for? It, it's interesting for, process? for for us for an industry private oh. equity that's been around twenty odd years now. Um, we still suffer the barbarian at the gate view of the world. People still think of private equity as being the guys that come in, you know, slash and burn, carve up, put lots of debt and squeeze the lemon dry and then throw it out and everyone walks away. Stories of private equity, 80s in the US. Yeah. 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 And the reality is, is that the industry by and large is actually very growth orientated. Innovation, you know, during the GFC, during the GFC, during the COVID years, yeah, you know, we were spending more money keeping businesses afloat and innovating on technologies and creating job opportunities, etc. And so, I think the best thing people can do is just go and have a conversation with someone. Yeah, actually, sit down and have a look them in the eye and work out whether you believe what they say or not. Because it's, I always, we only do and invest in companies with people that we know, we like, and we trust. Yeah, and so there's no shortcuts to that. It's old school. Get out, meet people, talk to them, have a coffee, have a bite to eat, find out what their kids do, work out where they want to go, what they want to do, and whether, for example, with Crescent, whether we are the most aligned operators based on who we are and what we do or not, Yeah, you know, yeah. and then seek advice from some people that are smarter and wiser or, or are or guarding your business to help you through that decision program, but yeah, don't sort of take assumption as being the rule yeah no i think that's some wonderful advice peter
1: thank you so much yeah, it's uh, my it was actually great talking to you without jamie having to ask one question <laughs> uh, he, he did he did he did say to me today he just for those of you who obviously can't see, Jamie's just to give the thumbs up then. He, he ran uh, last week's one mm-hmm. uh, where I virtually said nothing. So that was on HR. So I said nothing, Peter. <laughs> this, yeah. uh, this was <laughs> Don't my, know anything about HR? No, nah, well, I just I just know what I get told. <laughs> so you can't do very that, Tony, You can do that. Uh, look forward to catching up with you in Sydney where you, yeah, can, you can take us to some of those wonderful bars. Yeah, happy to show you about. around. It's wonderful. become a good town. It has. It has. Okay, thanks, Peter. Thanks very much for the invite.